Welcome to Quarantine Creatives. I'm Heath Rosella. Hubert Point du Jour is my guest today. Hubert's an actor based out of New York, and uh, he was on the stage for a long time doing a lot of live theater. And in the last couple of years, he's really transitioned over to television. He's had a lot of guest star roles, Madam Secretary, Blind Spot, The Path, The Good Wife, Law & Order SVU, Law & Order. He's done a lot of kind of smaller supporting roles. And he just landed this amazing series regular role in The Good Lord Bird on Showtime. If you haven't seen it yet, it is a phenomenal series. It just premiered over the weekend. It's a limited-run series. Ethan Hawke executive produced it and wrote it and uh, stars in it. And it's the story of John Brown, the famous abolitionist that uh, really helped kickstart the Civil War. John Brown was somebody that believed very strongly in the cause of abolition and felt very strongly from a religious point of view that all people are the same. We're all God's creatures. We should all be treated equally. We should all have fair treatment. And initially, he was very peaceful in those views. And then he realized that things weren't happening. And he felt that violence was justified if it meant ending slavery. So it's a really fascinating series just for this time. And, you know, we talk about that a lot in the interview. And Hubert plays Bob, who is, he, he starts off the series as an enslaved person and uh, runs away with John Brown, hoping to, to get freedom and ends up fighting alongside of him. So it's a good series if you don't know this part of history. And I didn't know a lot of it going in. I was really fascinated to learn a lot of this. And uh, it's amazing just sort of how relevant it is to right now. And obviously this series was shot before COVID, before George Floyd, before Breonna Taylor. But it takes on sort of a new meaning with that greater context all around us. So, you know, I think it's a great way to just sort of process everything that's been happening over the last year and also realize that it's problems that have been happening over the last, you know, 160 years. It feels like now's the time. Let's figure this out. Let's get past this. Let's Stop looking at people based on race and color and background and just realize that this is a small little planet and we've all got to share it with each other. And let's figure out just how to do that in harmony, right? That's what I'd love to see. So Hubert and I talk a lot about that. You know, one of the other things that we touch on in this interview is sort of not knowing when you're living through something exactly what's going to matter historically. And I think the good Lord Bird does that in the sense of John Brown. I mean, there's the possibility that this guy could have gone into Kansas when he did in the 1850s as an abolitionist, and he could have been killed in his first week there, right? But he wasn't. He was spared, and it changed the course of history. So Hubert and I spoke uh, about a week ago, and obviously at that time, the president had not yet contracted coronavirus, nor had any of the people around him that we were aware of. And uh, yeah, just thinking about, for me, the conversation we've had over the last week, Hubert and I, this conversation you're about to hear, it's been sort of ruminating with me, and it's taken on new relevance with the president being in the hospital with coronavirus. And honestly, I don't know where we're going to be at when you hear this. I have no idea if he's going to take a turn for the worse an hour from now. 
and uh, this will all feel very strange. Or if he's going to leap out of bed and, you know, go parading on the streets. I uh, As we're recording this, I saw him do this victory parade with the motorcade outside of Walter Reed. Yeah, I, I don't know what's coming next. We're literally living this, you know, minute by minute and just looking at updates all the time and just trying to figure out where are we and what does this mean for our country, for the election coming up, for all of it. So it's a weird time and uh, it's very strange, I think, just to kind of live through a moment and not know where we're going. I have not really had that in my adult life. Things have been very secure for a long time, relatively speaking. I was fortunate that, you know, I escaped the worst of the Great Recession and worked through that time and made decent money. You know, I, I think some of my peers maybe have had tastes of some of this unknown a little earlier than I have, but certainly we're all just trying to figure it out right now. And uh, that's a lot of what Hubert and I talk about today is just trying to figure it all out and trying to make sense of, of history as it comes at us. And I think more importantly, trying to look to the people that came before us and see what lessons we can learn from them. So that's what I took from the Good Lord Bird, amongst many other things. And I hope you'll check it out on Showtime. It is really just well done. It's well acted. Ethan Hawke is in it. David Diggs, of course, Hubert. I feel a lot of parallels. And I think not just because David Diggs is in both of them, but I do feel a lot of parallels to Hamilton of just sort of watching that a lot over the summer and thinking about recontextualizing history and questioning what's in your history books and letting it come alive. And just sort of seeing all the people that lived through that time as humans, human beings just trying to figure out how to move forward and how to make sense of the challenge in front of them. In their case, it was slavery. In our case now, it's, it's racism. It's climate change. It's coronavirus. It's a little bit of everything. I hope you take some good stuff from this interview. I definitely have been thinking about it since the conversation and uh, probably will continue to. So here it is, my conversation with Hubert Point du Jour. I want to start by just sort of asking you about uh, the last, you know, six, seven months. How has this uh, quarantine COVID period been for you? Um, it's been okay uh, in some ways. You know, I try to do things to bring some light to the uh, situations that are happening, you know, yeah. um, to try to stay positive and um, stay connected to uh, family and friends, all of which are healthy which I'm, I'm grateful about. Yeah, that's great. Are you, uh, are you in New York? I'm in New York. Yeah. In the city? Like I'm, I'm in Manhattan. Yeah. In the Upper East Side. How was that those first couple of months? Like that, it just, it sounds like it was crazy those first few months. How, uh, how was it just in your experience? It was crazy in some respects. First of all, I, I didn't do any, um, protesting. Yeah. There's different ways of protesting and I, I didn't feel safe doing it. Yeah. Um, and, there, I mean, there were protests all over the city, so there were definitely some around this area, but um, I didn't engage. But besides that, I, I think that, that kept me out of some of the things that, that were going on. There, there was a, a vigil that, that started happening uh, that my wife would, would go to and she would tell me about, um, but that, those were pretty calm. I think that the protests up here were relatively peaceful and calm. Yeah. 
It's uh, it's interesting. I I want to talk about this new series, The Good Lord Bird, a lot, and uh, it's uh, it's interesting, just sort of the time that it's coming out. You know, you talk about the protests and all, and like the uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here. I think it was originally going to be out in February, and then it got pushed to August, and now into October. Mm-hmm. You know, the world changed a lot, I guess, in that time. You know, with George Floyd, with Breonna Taylor, like how do you how do you feel, I guess, about just the series? coming out in this moment? Does it feel more immediate maybe than it would have in February? It does, because the series touches on John Brown, um, as you as you know, and he was a very extreme form of white allyship. Yeah. And in response to some of the horrific things that have been happening with Black Lives this year, there's been a lot of uh, white allyship, uh, more so than I've ever noticed. Yeah. And so it, I, I can't help. I mean, that's just one of the things. But I can't. It, it, I can't help but think about someone like John Brown, who was probably the the most important form of white allyship in this country's history. Yeah, I mean, he was literally willing to to lay down his life for the cause of ending slavery. He was. He, he was, and he did. Yeah. <laughs> he did. Yeah. And the um, the fruits of that wouldn't be fully seen until a few years after his death, or a couple of years after his death, when the uh, Civil War actually got started. But he did help spark it. Yeah. You know, I, I was thinking about that a lot as I, as I was watching the series and just sort of like, in some ways, feeling like we had made a ton of progress in, you know, 150, 160 years, however long it's been. But also just feeling like, wow, like the challenges of today aren't that different than they were in the 1850s. Like, did did that strike you at all of just sort of the difference in time and sort of, you know, here we are having a lot of these same discussions of, you know, do black lives really matter? And, and what does that mean? And and how do we support each other in, in that? There was absolutely no way I could not think about that. It's we we are still having a lot of the same conversations. And um, one of the ways that the, the show tries to engage people in that conversation, because there's still a lot of people who are who don't want to have the conversation a lot yeah. of people who are saying who feel like the issues are done and that's that's in the past and we're over that and slavery was done a long time ago but at least it's it's nice for me as an actor to take part in something like this where it it can engage people but in a in an entertaining way and use humor um primarily in the way that um james mcbride was trying to do yeah what do you think about just sort of that uh you know, when people say things like you just said, like, well, slavery ended so long ago and, you know, there was a black president not that long ago, it, like racism's over. Like, wh- why are people still talking about it? Like, how do you how do you even engage with that point of view? I mean, as far as, you know, when you say one, when you say there was one black president, you could count. It's not even on two hands. It was one. Right. I mean, that does that seem like equality? I mean, I, I don't think that's a poor example to use in my opinion of someone trying to say that everything's okay yeah it's it's still not an even playing field it's really disturbing that people still continue to refuse to face the facts and and face these issues but i think it makes a lot of people white people in particular very uncomfortable um so they don't want to they don't want to go there but uh I think I think a lot of people just also don't know what really happened. Yeah. I think there are well-meaning people, smart people who just don't know their history that they weren't taught it in school um, or they just just touched on or, you know, glossed over. 
And if they did know, I think they'd have a, a different point of view. And that would help engage their empathy because that seems to be missing from a lot of people when I, when I um, encounter pushback on yeah. some of these topics. Yeah, it is interesting, the history piece, just like this was this was the most I'd ever learned about John Brown. I, I sort of like in my head, the only thing that that really had stuck prior to this was that song, you know, John Brown's body lies a molding in the grave. And I still mm-hmm. don't even know, like, you know, was was that a was that a northern song? Was that a southern song? Like, I, I just as you say, like the education system is kind of so broken that we haven't learned about these sort of important pieces of our history. I wonder just for you, like going into this project, how familiar were you with, with John Brown's life or, you know, Frederick Douglass comes up in this piece, Harriet Tubman, like just mm-hmm. that whole mm-hmm. era, like how much education did you have to do for yourself, I guess, going into this project? I took a lot of courses on African-American history in college, but this was some time ago. I needed a, a refresher on a lot of these things. And um, I only had from the time that I auditioned to the time that I had to start filming was like a week and a half or, oh, or wow. two weeks. It was barely any time. So yeah. I was like, okay, first and foremost, I got to read the book. And then, you know, I got to read as many scripts as are, that are available. And then I need to refresh my memory on some of the particulars of this time period and specifically of John Brown. So I had to do that throughout filming and and i continue to do it even after we wrapped because there's so much to learn from this from this time period yeah what uh what were some of your takeaways in just you know maybe even after the project wrapped some of the reading you've been doing since then like what what's your perspective on that time period now what i really focused on after we wrapped were the people who really went through this with john brown and, you know, my character, Bob, is, is fictional, but he contains aspects of some of the stories of the black men who were actually there with him and, and went to this raid and who most of which died afterwards. And so I was really, really fascinated by them and their stories. And I, I read up on them and I was just really touched by by them and, and their descendants. I read about the descendants from the these men and how. Some of their families turned away from them. Uh, one of them in particular, I'm forgetting uh, which one of them at the moment, but family kind of turned away from them because of their involvement in the raid. Wow. And other people's families really embraced the history of their ancestor who, who took part. It was really fascinating and also really strange because as I was reading about some of these events, I was remembering actually filming some of some of them. So yeah. I was reading about it and I'm like, oh my gosh, I was in this scene (laughs) and it almost felt like I lived through it in a way. It was really trippy. Well, and I wonder too, just sort of, you know, the character you play, Bob, who is, you know, this slave that that escapes uh, with John Brown's men and, you know, just sort of having to embody that, that like, you know, slavery can be an abstract concept, I guess, or something that you learn about in a book. And, you know, obviously I know it's all scripted and, you know, you're, you're talking with other actors, but like in the moment of a scene when, you know, people are addressing you as boy or calling you the N word or, you know, you're, you're not, you know, able to make eye contact with certain characters or things like that. Like just, did you, did that help bring it alive for you, I guess, of just sort of what, what the experience was like for these men and women in that era? Um, It did. I mean, 
everything I've learned about that period, just reading it and just, just being a black man in America, I, again, it's, it's that thing we're talking about, about how so much of this is still present. I can already relate to so much of this before I even stepped into some of these scenes and, and, and acted out some of these uh, situations, but being in them, yeah, it was crazy. It was, it was scary. Um, and, uh, Bob is scared. He's freaked out. He's, yeah. he's just, uh, He's just trying to stay alive. He has a wife and kids he's trying to get back to. But then there's the humor that, that that's in the script that makes it fun because, you know, you would typically read about a character or you, you, you would see a scene where an enslaved person was freed and they'd be grateful. And that's how Bob is initially. And he's taken out of bondage by John Brown. Technically, he's a fugitive slave at that point, but yeah. he's taken in with John Brown. And he goes, you know what, I'm going to travel up north with John Brown to one of the free states. I'll get some work. I'll get money. I'll come back and buy my family's freedom, which was one of the ways that a slave could be free. But when he learns that John Brown is going headfirst into these battles, he's like, well, I didn't count on that. That's not what I don't want to. Right. I don't want to be part of that. And he complains. Initially, I read it and I was like, what is this? Like, And he's like. You know, I didn't ask him if, if uh, he didn't ask me if I wanted to be free. Like, right. what? Why did he do that? And he starts, and it's a little disturbing, but it's like, it's one of the brilliant things about James McBride is he explores the complexities in such a really great way. And what, what ends up happening in um, this scene in particular is um, I think it ends up being kind of funny in certain ways because you're like, what? Like, he's complaining and he's like, he's just saying he's going to stay alive. And Onion is like, just kind of going for the ride and trying to figure out things. Yeah, it was um, it, it was it was crazy to be in some of those scenes. Yeah, I, I definitely feel that in this moment too. Of just sort of like I, I think it's really easy to uh, to look at history in a very like good and evil construct, right? That like there were there were mm-hmm. slaves and there were people that wanted them free, or you know there was there was Hitler and then there were you know the people that that fought against him. And sort of living through the era that we're in right now, like, you know, I think we're all being called upon to make decisions every day that, you know, maybe they don't affect our own everyday life, but they certainly can affect everyone around you. And just like, you know, we're kind of living in one of those moments that I I haven't ever felt that way in my lifetime, I guess, that like prior to this, it was just like, okay, you know, we're just doing our thing. We're just going along. Life is what it is. And now all of a sudden Mm -hmm. I feel like, there's going to be this moment where, you know, 40, 50 years from now, my grandkids are going to be like, what were you doing in 2020? <laughs> how did you help? How did, you right. know, what side exactly. were you on? Like, yeah, just how, exactly. how do you feel about this moment, I guess, that we're, we're living through right now? Well, I, I, I do think about that a lot. And I, I think about, I literally asked myself a very similar question. I'm like, what are my kids? When my kids say, what have you, <laughs> what have you done? What were you doing during this time period? But, what I want to say before that real quick is that when my kids and grandkids look back on this time period, I hope that they explore it in all its dimensions, you know, and they don't just go, Oh, COVID was happening and everyone was miserable and it was a horrible time and not explore the fact that some people, some companies are making more money now than they've ever made during this time period. Or, you know, there's this, racial unrest happening and like people are protesting and you know i don't want them to just think well you know everyone was fighting for this like no there's people who are actually 
aren't even for the cause who are like infiltrating the protests and trying to distract. And I mean, it's a multi-layered thing. Yeah. And um, again, to, to touch back on the series, like that's one of the great things about this series. I'm, it doesn't, there's things that happen to think their choices that characters make that are like, my God, why are they doing this? Like, you know, um, but it's, it's a, it's a complex multi-layered, it was a complex multi-layered time period. And that's what we're going through right now. And we're, we're living through it. And as we're living through this time where I'm listening to podcasts, I'm reading, people are analyzing it and we're not even through it yet. So we, we, we won't even be able to fully understand what's going on until we've had, some distance from it so when my kids and grandkids um, ask me what's going on i would like to engage them in a conversation where we talk about the complexities of what i was living through and you know i i can tell them that um you know i i just tried to continue educating myself on the issues that were at the root of um in particular the the racial unrest that was happening um that's one of the things that i've been doing like i said inspired by the series that I just wrapped before all this happened yeah but yeah just trying to educate myself to trying to stay connected to my family yeah you know yeah it is interesting just not knowing sort of where we end up or where this all falls in the greater context you know and you sort of get that watching the series as well of like you know we can look back on history now and say okay John Brown was this important figure in the raid on Harper's Ferry, you know, led to the Civil War mm-hmm. and all this. And we sort of know what that outcome is going to be. But in the moment, like, he's just, he's this guy with, you know, 10 other people around him just going right. after slaveholders and, and people that are, you know, that are sympathetic to that point of view and has sort of decided to take the law into his own hands. And, you know, I can imagine in that era, he probably wasn't seen as much of a hero or you know there was just a lot of confusion around like why would you take up arms for this cause and it's sort of only with the you know with the perspective of history with the hindsight that you can say oh okay yeah this guy really made a difference exactly we we need that hindsight and that's why it's important to keep uh re-examining things from our history particularly this part of our history when we were still such a young nation we're we're still a young nation but there's so much more that that we have to learn we're all different people you know with what we're going through by the time 2021 comes along we're all going to be different and it's going to make us contextualize the things from the past in a different way so we we can't stop looking at those things we have to continue to look at them as we grow as a people and a you know a nation a world um it's always going to be beneficial and why not do it in a fun and entertaining way, like a series, like the (laughs) (laughs) getting that plug in, but it's, Hey, I I loved it. It was, it was a good show. Uh, I want to ask just sort of, you talked about that, uh, you know, from getting cast to shooting being like a week and a half, like, what was it like? How did, I guess, how did you get first get attached to this project and sort of what was that process? Just, you know, auditioning and things like that. What was that like for you? Yeah, that was, um, I was just coming off of a show in New York, Shakespeare in the Park, uh-huh. and I was really ill, had this horrible virus, and I got an audition for this project, and um, I wasn't even sure if I was going to go, be able to go into my agency to audition for it, because wow. I was so out of it, but I was really intrigued by the material, and I, I managed to, to, to go in, and I had some cool ideas of how I could the audition and have fun with it and then i 
got response uh, from uh, the director of the first two episodes, Albert Hughes, reached out to my team and said that they really liked my tape, but they had a couple of um, more notes for me. And um, it was basically about leaning into the humor more, mm. but not like hamming it up or anything, like keeping it serious, but make, like, making it funny. And my managers didn't know what, what they were talking about. Yeah. They were like, do, do you know how to interpret this note? And I was like, I do. I know exactly what they're talking about. And I taped it again and went a little further with it. And then I, I booked it and that was it. Nice. This is one of the biggest TV jobs you've ever done, right? No doubt about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is, I've had uh, some great guest star roles, you know, and I've done commercials and, and stuff. But before that, it was, um, you know, but besides that, I should say it's, it's, it's primarily been, been theater, um, but I've been shifting gears and well, shifting focus the past few years and wanting to do more things on camera because the, the TV world is just so exciting yeah. right now. And um, so I've been ready to sink my teeth into um, a role like Bob for, for some time. And so, um, yeah, when I got the opportunity, I was like, I, I just felt ready. I was like, I feel ready for this. And I'm I'm just gonna like get my best crack at it, and yeah. just like have the most fun with it, and that's what I did. How uh, how does it feel? Like I got excited for you just in watching like the title sequence and seeing your name, you know, second in there right after Ethan Hawke's. Like, <laughs> what does that feel like I to know. you? Just like you know, after sort of you know the culmination of this whole journey, I guess. Yeah, that was. Uh... I didn't expect that. Yeah. <laughs> I knew, I knew, I knew I was going to have my own single card in the in the credits, but I didn't know it was going to be right after Ethan. So that was, um, well, I don't know. I'm still sort of processing that, <laughs> processing yeah. that. But it's it's a it, it's a huge, it's it's huge, it's, it's huge for me, and um, and it means a lot. And it just shows, I don't know, it's it shows how much Bob means to the story. It, it felt really good to to see my name right after Ethan's, no yeah. doubt about it. I'm sure. Uh, I, I want to back up too and just sort of understand like what what first led you to this line of work. Like when did you sort of first get that acting bug? The acting bug was uh, in high school uh-huh. when I was in um, tenth grade. That's when I started doing plays. Um, I'd been performing since I was five. I used to sing, so I'd been singing in church choir, Catholic church choir, and school choirs and stuff. But when I got to um, tenth grade, there was a musical Oliver and um, I auditioned for it and um, got the part. And um, the following year, I learned about a performing arts high school um, in Long Island, where I grew up mostly. And I auditioned and got in. And I attended that school for my junior and senior year. And after my junior year of going through that program, I knew that I was going to pursue this yeah. with, you know, with no plan B or anything. I was like, this is what I do. Um, it's going to happen. And I was just super focused from that point on. Yeah. What was your uh, your family's reaction when you sort of had that revelation and just said, this is it? There's no plan B? <laughs> like, how did they take that? <laughs> my my folks have been very supportive. They, they you know, in, in general, I mean, they've, they've been so used to going to performances of mine yeah. for, you know, since I was a kid and stuff. But yeah, when it came time for college, they were okay with, with me majoring but they they kind of weren't trying trying to encourage me to have a minor but 
the program that I went to at NYU was so intensive that, I mean, there were some kids who were able to do a minor, but I was like, there's no way I'm going to be able to focus on this program and, and have a minor. And I wasn't interested in having a minor in anything else. Yeah. They didn't give me too much of a hard time about it. Once they started coming to my shows and seeing, like in college and seeing my growth, and especially when I graduated and started, I was lucky enough to start working immediately. There, there was never uh, any question. Yeah. Was there, do you think being from New York and going to school at NYU, like, did that make it seem more viable in any way than, you know, if you'd been from some other part of the country or something where there just, there wasn't the same live theater scene? Uh, more viable to, to have a career yeah, in, just um, like, in acting? Yeah, just like, yeah, you know, you could go to shows and stuff and like, you know, walk down Broadway and see 10 theaters and be like, oh yeah, like you, you could put a face, I guess, to it and say, oh yeah, I can do what that guy does. Yes, it, it, it did, it did. And I, I was so happy to, to be in New York. I mean, be, being at NYU, most of the kids weren't even from New York. Yeah. And when I, when I was still in high school, that's when I started taking trips to the city on my own and going to the um, Lincoln Center Performing Arts Library and looking up rare plays and just starting to explore the city and going to see plays. Uh, we, well, we, we had school trips and we, we, would, we would go to the city and see plays. But I just loved the city. And of course, the, the theater scene was such a huge part of that love. So that's what I wanted to be a part of. And I, I wanted to be part of that theater community. And um, and that's what I pursued. That's yeah. all I could think about, you know. And I did study films, too, while I was in college, formally. Like, I did have some classes, not film acting, but, like, I had a class on um, Shakespeare on film, which was a great great course so more like film film theory this particular class was about shakespeare plays film versions of shakespeare plays gotcha okay so we would we would watch um you know romeo the film version of romeo juliet but like the the older version but also the baz lerman version and yeah. talk about it and that sounds awesome it was a great great course but i also spent a lot of time on my own just going to the library there because you had access to basically any film you wanted I mean, right. they they had a great media section and i would focus in on an actor who i really liked and i would google some really obscure film of theirs and i would watch it and i would come back the next day and i would watch it again hmm. um and i just studied it i i studied these actors and um i, I made the most of that i was in that library and practically every day wow so i had that love of film and film acting also i just didn't really actively pursue it and make a point of making a strong career move into it right. until you know fairly fairly recently and what what led to that shift what made you want to go into the direction of filmed acting versus stage acting um there was still some great things that I wanted to achieve in the theater world. And there, there still are some things. I haven't been on Broadway yet. But at that point, I had achieved a lot of my goals about doing off-Broadway shows and being the lead of a show, et cetera. You know, I wanted new challenges. I wanted more money. And uh, I was getting inspired, like I, like I touched on briefly, about I was getting inspired by TV shows and, and miniseries and I was watching shows and I'm like, this is amazing. Yeah. And I want to be a, a, a part of it. And it, it really was a whole new, not a whole new challenge, but trying to do what I was doing in theater and fitting it into a frame 
had to i it forced me to to make some adjustments um that i i hadn't been making when i was playing like co-stars and stuff which which were great roles and i learned a lot from them but in order for me to be considered for some of these juicier roles i had to really step my game up and um when my agency got a a studio to put actors on film for auditions that really changed a lot for me and yeah. it um it left me to my own devices which was great so i had to take control because the person who runs that that um studio is not is not an actor at all he's yeah. just a technical guy they're hitting record sure and I, just it's it's your thing at that point that's it yeah exactly and they're nice they're they're great but they're, they're just gonna make sure you can hear me clearly and you can see me clearly and so it's up to me about what the shot is going to be like. Um, I got some managers at that time, and they were getting me some some juicier roles. And so I had to really step my game up. And I I started looking back as I would tape it, and then I would look back and go, Oh no, this is this looks so boring. Like mm. I need to change. I need to where what are my eyes doing? You know, like you can just see my body from the waist up. You know, right. um, so. What, whatever I'm doing with my feet, I'm going to be seen. So what what am I doing to make everything from the waist up alive and make it interesting for a producer who's just, you know, rifling through these films on a weekend or something? Yeah, they're going to watch 30 of these tapes. <laughs> like, how do you make yours stand out? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so I love being in control of that. And um, I, I started bringing some of that creativity that I would bring to my theater auditions. And then I started bringing it to the on-camera on auditions, just having fun. And, I'm, and um, I love having that. It's, this, it's a double thing. Like I love having that feeling of being in control, but I, I'm also, when I'm on a set, I love direction also. Yeah. I'm, I'm not overly precious about any choice or anything. I come, I'm on my toes all the time. I can, I can come in and go, I have this idea. And if someone doesn't want to be like, who cares about that idea? I'll just drop it. Yeah. Anyway, I uh, I was really excited about um, making those adjustments for camera. And then I started getting some response. And it, it was that thing where you start getting closer and closer. And it's like, I'm down to the final three, down to the final two, you know, really close to this role. Really, so I was like, okay, well, whatever I'm doing, people are responding. And so let me just keep moving in that direction. And then, then I got Bob. Yeah, that's awesome. I love that story. I wonder, like, what you were saying about just being seen from the waist up and stuff. Like, does I wonder just how different coverage of a scene affects your performance. Like, sort of knowing that now when you're on set, do you change your performance in a close-up versus a wide shot where they're seeing your whole body? Like, are you are you more aware of sort of where the camera is because of all that time you spent, you know, in the studio? Right. You know, I'm becoming more aware. I'm, there's still so much that I have to learn. I mean, I just love being on set. It's my favorite place. My, I, I don't know if it's a mantra or whatever, but I just tell myself that I belong on sets. Yeah. That's what I say to myself all the time. Like, this is where I belong now. So when I'm on set, I'm the type of person that does like to ask questions. I don't, I don't want to act like I know everything. I'll ask camera, camera A, camera B operator what they're doing, what this is, what does it mean? when you're getting 750 lens, but you know, whatever the numbers are. Right. And like, so all I'm trying to say is, uh, um, there's one of the directors from the show, her name's Darnell Martin, and she's amazing. And, um, she, she gave me that note. There was some wider shots where I was still acting as if it was a, a shot from the waist up. And she's yeah. like, you could, you could, you could activate more when the cameras, <laughs> when it's further back. And I was like, Oh gosh, right, right. And she was like, it's a good thing to, 
to keep that in mind for the for the future. So those are the kernels of things that I that I can't wait to that that knowledge that you take from one job and you bring it to the next. I I just can't wait to get on a set again and be able to take some of that knowledge and and apply it. Yeah, for sure. I wonder too, like um, just thinking about sort of. You know, you talked about being so analytical about old films, you know, Lincoln Center and at NYU and just sort of, you know, watching these performances over and over again. Have you brought that to your own work? Like how many times have you have you watched The Good Lord Bird, for example? And like, what do you what do you take away from it as you're watching it? Mm, As you can imagine, because this is my biggest job on camera to date, I could not wait to see the series and to really to see if what I was working on and trying to have come across if it actually came across. And so I watched with a critical eye, no doubt. And um, I went through the the entire series once, but there's a few episodes I watched uh, more than once. And I I am going to do another pass of it, but I feel good about what I did. I'm happy with it, really, you know. I mean, I felt so happy about some of the, the takes that they chose, I mean, that that in and of itself is just so fascinating because yeah. I'm, I'm watching a scene and I'm like, I know we shot this scene a bunch of times. Like, what take are they going to use? And right. I'm like, oh, they use that take. Okay, all right, okay. And I was like, I remember I did do it this different way, but no, that one was, I, I like that one. Yeah. And so um, I, I watch it with a critical eye, but I, I'm, a, I'm not the type of actor who, I, I never beat myself up. Right. I, I just get very technical. And um. Uh, there, there's probably some moments here and there I could isolate and go, okay, you know what? I could have taken that further, or maybe this was a little too far. But for the most part, how I wanted Bob to come across comes across. And so there's a, there's a part of me that's like, okay, great. What's the next thing? And like, I'm just ready for the next thing. Right. And I, and like I said, I, I want to take what I learned from, from filming this, this show and just and bring it to the next job. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I wonder too, like this is, a weird question, but like, as you're watching your work, like, do you watch it as yourself? Like as the guy that was on set and like doing all this and sort of remembering, you know, just, oh yeah, that take was, you know, take 27 and we were all just ready to go to lunch at that point. (laughs) Or like, are you watching it as an audience member and just sort of like, Ooh, this Hubert guy's all right. Like, I like what he's doing. You know what I mean? Like, just sort of like what, what's in your head. And, and part two of that is like, do you watch it alone or like, will you have your wife or other people in the room? Like, can you, can you watch your own work with other people present? Well, um, my wife watched it with me. It was just us yep. um, here in our, not in our apartment. You know, she, um, she really enjoyed it. Just had great things to say about it. I, I feel like maybe I, I've watched the series in both of these uh, ways that you're describing. I am able to just sit back and watch it and kind of put, all my experience from it and my memory of shooting it, I I, I can put that aside somehow yeah. and just watch it as if I'm almost as if, you know, as if I'm seeing the, the story unfold for the first time. And what was, what was weird is that there, there were some scenes where it's like, I'm watching Bob and I'm laughing. So it, it was a little more like what you're saying. I'm like, wow, Bob is a trip. Yeah. Great. Like he's hilarious. Right. Like, wow, he really said that? So I am able to have those moments. Yeah, but I'm also able to, to zoom in and and remember and be like, yeah, gosh, we did shoot that scene 16 times. And I remember having difficulty because there were two cameras and one was moving in a way and we had to have, you know, be in the right coverage for camera A and B. And, I, and it was a really 
tricky uh, shoot that day, I, I still have all those memories also. It's hard to, to fully get rid of those, yeah. It, it is, it is for sure. But it's it's a little bit like what I would observe from a lot of the theater directors I've worked with. They, they're able to watch a scene sometimes. And, you know, we, we could have been rehearsing all day and rehearsing a particular scene, you know, countless times but there's there certain directors that have a way of directing where they each time we do it i feel like they're like watching it for the first time because then they can pick out something that they didn't notice the last time we did it i, I don't know a, a better way to describe it i think there were some directors that i worked on the show with who who have a, a similar quality and i think as an actor i can have a i'm learning i can have a, a similar quality yeah I want to ask you about some directors you've worked with, um, mostly on the theater side, just because I'm fascinated with with some of them. Um, you did a, a show with Felicia Richard, right? Mm. What mm-hmm. was what was that like to be directed by her? Oh, just um, fantastic. She uh, we did the play A Raisin in the Sun. Yeah, um, is at a, a theater in Connecticut, and I played this character named Asagai, uh, who's Nigerian, who's just he's he's only in a couple of scenes in the show and oh man he, he i learned so much by playing that character that was actually my second time playing that character but um playing it with felicia rashad was amazing because she more than any other director up until that point made me aware of how important timing is mm. and she helped she helped me understand how the script is like sheet music and how it's for you know more often than, than not especially when working on a classic like a raisin in the sun or you know shakespeare classics or you know the 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 writers there's a timing to it there's there's uh there's a rhythm to it right and she was able to teach me that in a way that i hadn't picked up been able to quite grasp before that and i really learned that somehow sometimes when you just as an actor if you just are able to get into that time signature of a of a script, you there's still there's always going to be room to make it your own. But if you lock into that and um, let go and sort of get on that ride, it can take you to amazing places. And so um, I'm I'm always grateful to to her about that. Yeah. Uh, let alone what I've what I've learned from just watching her work over, over the years. Right. So that that was an amazing experience. That's awesome. I, I want to ask you too, uh, Lee Silverman, I talked to her on the show uh, back in like July, I think. And I'm just curious sort of what oh. it was like working with her because she was, she was a great interview, but uh, I'm wondering what oh, it was like. Oh, really? Yeah. 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 Oh, she is, she is sharp, sharp director, super smart, very specific. She was actually one of the first directors I worked with outside of out when I graduated. Oh, wow. And I, I got really spoiled because, you know, cause, uh, uh there was a writer, a uh, wonderful writer, uh, who works mostly in television now, Tanya Barfield, who wrote the play that she directed me in. The play is called blue door. It was a, it was a two person play and Lee and, um, I'm sorry, Tanya at some point, uh, during the process of the show, when her and I were talking about Lee and how great she is, Tanya was like, you're not, not every director is going to be like this. You know that, right? <laughs> and I was like, I was like, what are you talking about? You know? And then you learn quickly, like not every director is going to be as sharp, as smart as Pim. She, she was just the type of director that could give you a, a note that just gets right to the heart of it. And you go, Oh my God. And it just unlocks everything. Yeah. So, um, she was a great uh, director who I, you know, been looking forward to 
working with her again for some time. Yeah. Um, I love just sort of, I feel like the thread through this whole conversation has just sort of been about, you know, picking up the breadcrumbs as you go and just, you know, bringing something from each job and each person you work with onto the next project. And like, I, I love that. And I guess that's, you know, that's what we all love about entertainment, right? Yeah, it never ends. That's what makes it, it would be so boring if I'm like, oh, all right, well, I, I, I kind of figured out this film film thing, film acting thing. What am I going to do now? Yeah. Like, I, that's never going to end. I, I mean, I could even do a, a similar project and still it's going to be music. The cameras aren't going to be set up the same. I love that as an actor getting on set and I'm like, oh, you know, this is where the cameras are. Yeah. I didn't think they were going to be here. Like, right. And like, okay, well, that changes my whole thing. But I love those surprises. I'm like, oh, yeah, throw me a curveball. Like, I, I, I want that. Um, and I had that a few times on the show. That's just so fun. But, yeah, man, I just, I love uh, soaking in um, everything, every single thing I work on, every single person. I like going to set when I don't have anything to film, you know, and people are like, what are you doing, Bob? Like, they just call me Bob on set. And they're like, Bob, you're on set? What? You're not, under, you're, you know, you're not needed today. I was like, I'm just, you know, like there was a day where I just went to watch David Diggs work. And wow. I was like, I don't have any scenes with him and I just want to watch him work. Right. <laughs> you know, like I have a first row seat to this. Like, yeah. are you kidding me? Like, I want to be here. He just, so. man, like I just coming off of, you know, watching Hamilton all summer and like seeing him play Thomas Jefferson and Lafayette and then going to Frederick mm -hmm. Douglass, like he has just his repertoire of like, you know, American <laughs> figures is just crazy at this point. Like he just he steals the show every time. So I can't blame you for, for wanting to. Yeah. To have front row seat to makes that. it his own. Yeah. No, no doubt about it. I was like, I, I got to. I got to be there. Um, and he, that's just one example of the show is there's so many amazing um, actors yeah. on the show uh, who I, I learned so much from. Yeah, no, for sure. I want to just to kind of wrap up, you know, thinking back to like the current situation we're in, I guess. And, you know, we were talking at the beginning about how John Brown was such a, such an important white ally in all of this, but there is this Frederick Douglass moment in the series where you know, he sort of calls him out and says, you know, like, who are you to, to speak to the slave experience? You were never enslaved. You don't know what it's like firsthand, you know? And it just, mm -hmm. like, I feel like no matter where we end up in November, I guess, you know, is there another four years of the shit show or like, do things change? Like, who knows? But like, at some right. point, we are all going to have to heal as a country and we're going to have to figure out, you know, how we all move together, how we move forward together. Like, what do you see as sort of the role of, of white allies in this time and just sort of, you know, how, how can we be good allies without stepping on the cause, I guess? Yeah, well, um, I think just doing just I, I feel like educating, you know, it, it goes back to the education thing. If you don't know what came before and what and how what has happened in the past is still occurring, like how are you? it's going to give you more tools to be able to address what's happening now. If, if you're, if you're able to face the, the things from the past as uncomfortable as they may be for someone uh, who is white, who, who isn't aware that they're benefiting from these things. And so I just think becoming aware of, of your privilege as a white person is a huge thing. And then just starting to educate yourself and, and taking those steps and the, 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 the material is there for you. The information, it's all there. I mean, but black folks have been talking about this for years and, uh, you know, and so real change can't happen unless 
we we get that uh, white allyship in, in huge numbers. So educating yourselves, starting to read articles and the documentary, countless documentaries, the books, the the TV shows that inspire you to maybe go and look at what really happened. Um, it's it's all there, and so there are different levels of it. It's, it's not just uh, you know going out and protesting, which is one of the ways, but um, just becoming active in the many different ways that you can is going to help bring us to a more equal America, I think. Yeah. And there's no, there's no one silver bullet. There's no one action, right? It's, as you say, it's, it's no. reading, it's watching films, it's talking to people, it's all of it, you, you know, it, and any step you can take is a step in the right direction. Exactly. Exactly. And just, you know, uh, acknowledging that there's, that there's an issue and, um, and that you, you play a part in, in fixing and helping to, to right that, that wrong in the main different ways that you can is a, is a great thing that, um, that uh, white people can do. All right, Hubert Point du Jour. I think we all, uh, we all have a role to play in moving this thing down the field. We're going to have to come together at some point. We can't live this polarized, and we can't live on such opposite sides of everything. We've got to find a middle we got to find a way to talk. we got to find a way to listen. The Good Lord Bird airs Sundays on Showtime. It's also streaming on the Showtime apps. If you have those, do check it out. It is a really, really fun, good, interesting series. I think you'll enjoy it. All right, got a new show coming up on Thursday. I hope you will join me then. I'm at Heath Rosella on Twitter and Instagram. Go register to vote if you haven't yet. Get those ballots in early. The election still matters. Let's take it home, guys. Stay safe out there. <laughs>